Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. And as usual, if you have questions that come up, we want to take some time uh, on a pretty regular basis to answer those questions. So feel free to send those in to info at grove.church. You can shoot us an email uh, or you can jump on our Grove Church Facebook page and direct message us. We get those questions as well through the Facebook Messenger uh, and we will spend time as much as we can to answer those questions. Yep. Today, the resources we're using are pretty uh, cut and dry. Uh, We're using the ESV Study Bible and the Logos Bible software. Um, And also today, Aaron will be taking the the driver's not, not seat. Not really. I'm just going to talk about my son. He will so. be the uh, the play-by-play to my color man today. Um, and that's mostly... I don't even know be- what that means. So. What? In like sports? Color man? What is that? Yeah. The color guy. So the play-by-play is the guy who talks over the plays. And the color guy is like, like, yeah, yeah, that was a great play. Here's why. And they circle stuff. Yeah. That's the color guy. Is that a, an official term? That's what I've always heard of that. Yeah. The color what? man. Yeah. Anyway. I just learned something I don't know if it's true. So uh, the, re- the reason for this <laughs> is that uh, my life has been consumed with uh, running wire and doing fun things like yeah, that. He told me when we walked in that he had a dream last night of pulling wire with dinosaurs. With dinosaurs. Yeah. It was awesome. So uh, yeah, we're preparing to Sounds open. Epic. We're preparing to open up for in-person uh, gatherings. In a couple weeks. Yeah. So I'm just trying. I guess at the recording of this podcast is a couple weeks. Yeah. So trying to get all that stuff Bro, done. And I sat down at a Starbucks today for the first time at a starbucks and, and the restaurant in the starbucks i sat down at it nice so normally they anyways we're in washington state we like to shut things down for a longer period of time i feel like so yeah there you um, go. but i'm not biased so Aaron anyways we're talking agreed. about gideon today uh it's gonna be in the book of judges uh and part of the reason why we're jumping into this is because i love the story of gideon uh but it's also one of the things we're gonna be jumping into this week as we're reading through the reading plan together uh judges sixes or six through eight is the story of gideon uh, just to kind of give you a quick overview and background of Judges, this was at a time of Israel where they were, in essence, they were continually in a cycle of sin where they were rebelling against God, serving other gods, doing whatever they wanted. <clears throat> I think one of the most tragic statements in all of scripture, uh, one of the most, because there's plenty of them, but uh, <laughs> is this idea like, and again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then they were conquered by uh, another a neighboring nation. Uh, and so that's what's happening in the book of Judges. Well, and the last line Excuse of uh, the last line of Judges is um, everyone did what was right. In those days, the judges ruled and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah, um, which is a really tragic statement. It is. And you might be asking how I remember that. And it's because it's the opening line of the Adventures in Odyssey episode on Ruth. <laughs> so it's it's incredible. Adventures in Odyssey makes a comeback. I don't know week. the name of the person who created that, but well done. Warren? No, I'm just kidding. You've, you've imprinted the book of Ruth completely into my mind. Um, yeah, so that's what's happening in the book of Judges. So we're, we pick up in Judges chapter 6 where we see um, the same thing happening. There's a nation, which is the, uh, I believe it's the Malachi, Malachites and Midianites that are in essence conquering and have taken over yep. uh, the Israelite nation. Uh, in essence, there's a famine that when crops are made, Israelite, they run and hide and they try and keep their crops with the Midianites come in and take all of their food, all of their livestock. So in essence, Israel's at the point of, point of starvation. Um, there's very little food to go around. Um, and so in, in Judges, you see that God sends a deliverer in them, even in the midst of the rebellion, which it's, it's a tragic story in respect on a regular, or I guess a regular tragic story throughout the book of Judges and Israel's rebellion, but then a, a continual deeper revelation of God's grace in the midst of their rebellion. Uh, and so in Judges 6, we see the Midianites again are conquered. Israel, we see this at the very beginning, uh, that they've have conquered Israel for seven years at this point <clears throat> before Gideon became a quote-unquote judge. 
Um, and I say quote unquote because there's an interesting thing that I didn't know about that I'll get to at the end when it comes to his legacy. Oh my. Um, but it says this in Judges 6, this is the story that starts off uh, verses one through six. It says, the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to the Midian for seven years. And they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. So they were hiding. Uh, and Midian was, was beating them up pretty good. So verse 3 says, When the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Malachites, and the Ketamites came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents with, like a great swarm of locusts. I guess I didn't finish all the passage there. Anyways, so this continues on, oh. laid waste to it, uh, and Israel became poverty stricken. Um, this was context. That's what it was. Um, I missed that intro to that. This is kind of what Israel was facing. This is right before Gideon was called to be a, a judge. We see this in verse 11. We'll pick up in just a minute. Um, but this is what Israel was facing. This is what they were going through. They were poverty stricken. They were on the verge of starvation. Uh, and then Gideon is called, and he is, uh, give you a little bit of context. I'm going to read this here in a minute, but he was hiding and threshing wheat because there wasn't much to go around. And anytime there was out in public, the Midianites somehow creeped up and took all the food from them. So he's hiding in a wine press. If you don't know anything about a wine press, it's not where you thresh wheat. Yeah. Well, and then I, it's funny because I, I spoke on Gideon a few years ago. So I actually looked up a picture of a wine press just because like, it's not what we picture today where like it's a thing on stilts and you're up high. Yeah. It, it was a no, pit. It's in a hole. Yeah. And so Gideon's- It's, it's hidden from sight. It's in, Yeah. You're in a pit, which is not- when you're threshing wheat, this is something else I remember learning too. When you're threshing wheat, you need to be out in the open a little bit so the wind can blow away the chaff, the chaff which is the lighter part of it. So your innocence crushing kernels, the kernels stay on the, on the little plate and the wind blows the chaff away. And mm -hmm. in, a, in a wine press, it doesn't happen that way. You're in a pit, you're hiding, the wind doesn't have an opportunity to blow the chaff away. So Gideon is doing something out of desperation in a place that is not normal or su well suited to accomplish what he's intending to. Yeah, he doesn't want the raiders to take his food. To see him, to take the food or anything. He's hiding just like all of Israel has been doing. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that he says in verse, you know, in these in verses, I'll just read it real quick. Uh, this is kind of a longer section, but this kind of gives you the call that God shows up, calls Gideon, and you get some context that I think is really important to understand this, the, who Gideon is and what he comes from. It says this, the angel Lord came and he sat under the oak, which is not Oprah, or Oprah, like last week, but Orfra, uh, Ofra, that's what it was. This is a place. Maybe that that's was. what Oprah's name was supposed to be. Maybe, uh, Orfra, <laughs> Ofra, uh, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Then he said, if I found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. Verse 19. So when Gideon went, prepared a young goat, quick highlight, he, he creates a sacrifice, brings it back to the angel of the Lord. Uh, angel of the Lord eats it. Uh, take the, the angel said to him, take the meat in verse 20, take the meat and unleavened bread, put it on the stone and pour the broth onto it. So he did that. 
the angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened bread, which would actually kind of be a pretty cool moment. He puts it down and all of a sudden fire comes up from a rock. Then the angel of the Lord vanished in his sight. Uh, So when Gideon realized that he he was the angel Lord, he said, oh no, Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Don't be afraid. You will not die. So Gideon is sitting in this wine press. He's hiding. He's he's not wanting to be seen by anybody, but yet God sees him, shows up, Mm -hmm. calls him out, says, hey, you're going to do something. It's interesting that Gideon's first response to this was, uh, why is all this crap happening? Pardon my language. Why is all this stuff happening? Sorry. Kids might be listening. But why is everything going on? Where are all the where are all the wonders? Where are all the miracles that our, our our ancestors told us about? Like he brought us out of Egypt, and some of those things he's referring to the ten plagues. He's referring to the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. He's referring to the Red Sea being parted. The, the stories that they've heard about God. Gideon is asking, "Where are all the wonders? Where is it all at? If God is really for us, if God is with us, then why are these bad things happening?" Which sounds pretty relevant to a lot of our situations in time. Not even mm-hmm. in twenty twenty, but I think just in general. But Gideon's asking these questions, but the angel Lord doesn't even say anything about that. He doesn't answer those questions. It reminds me a little bit like Job, like we talked about a little bit ago, where God's response to Job didn't have much to do with what Job was complaining about. He just said, where were you? And so the angel Lord just says, hey, go on the strength you have. I'll be with you. And, and that's good enough for Gideon, which is interesting. Well, after, after a few more signs, but I don't know if you have that well, passage in. I do. Well, you're talking about the fleece. I refer, I'll yeah. refer to that in a second. But there was, there was plenty of moments where, where Gideon was looking for answers um, and looking for confirmation and affirmation. I also think there's part of it where um, when, when you see the, the verses where Gideon says, you know, what, where, where are the miracles that our, our forefathers told us about? And then he also talks about how... Um, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the youngest in my father's family, which basically means like, hey, like of my I'm tribe, nobody. yeah, of my tribe, my clan is the smallest and I'm the least person in my clan. Um, I think there's another way to say family. Yeah, I think there's another way to, uh, I think the, another way to read it too is that Gideon doesn't feel like he himself measures up because he's heard stories about um, Moses and yeah. Joshua and Caleb and even like the early judges of Othniel. And I don't remember if Samson is before him or not, but there's um, all these great heroes of Israel. And then he's being told like, hey, you're next. And his his first response is like, no, I'm not. It's like, what are you talking about, yeah. man? It's just, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think you you see that, you'll see that play out throughout the story of Gideon. The, the story of Gideon is only two chapters long. Um, but there's so much that happens in those two chapters. Yeah. And the whole goal you got to remember is God is going to use Gideon to, to take out Midian. The, the nation that's oppressing the Israelite right now is, is Midian. And Gideon's going to be used by God to do that. The first thing that Gideon is told to do is go tear down the Asherah poles that your, that your family and your tribe has been worshiping. And, and Asherah poles, in essence, a high place devoted to the god Baal. Um, and it's, it's funny, my... Um, my son was given a book. Uh, I don't remember. I think it might've been by Adrian Lawfer, uh, one of our pastor's wives, uh, called Gid the Kid and the Black Bean Bandits. <laughs> and it legitimately is the story of is it veg- Is it VeggieTales? No. Oh, it's, Black, it's Black Bean just from, made me think. Right? No, it's something. Fr- it actually came out, I think, out of England. Um, uh, okay. So I want to find more because like Gid the Kid, that's one of the things I call my son, Gid the Kid, because uh, his name legitimately is Gideon. Because I love this story and passage and that's not why I'm doing it, but it just fit <laughs> because we're reading it this week. 
But so Gideon was told to take down the Asherah pole, take down the high place that people are worshiping at, a false god. Their hope is in the wrong thing. So he does it. He removes it in secret. And people wake up the next day and say, like, who tore down our pole? And someone blatantly called out uh, Gideon said it was Gideon. He, needs, he deserves to die. And Joash, who's his father, just says point blank, which is it wasn't even really defending Gideon. He just says, let Baal defend himself. Which I do. I do love. <laughs> like, it's a great... It, oh, yeah. It, it's reminiscent of um, Elijah yep. later on when he's just like, oh, I'm sorry. Is, is Baal gone? Is he on the toilet? Yeah, you see this totally replay, or played out again with Elijah, the story of Elijah. But mm-hmm. uh, So you just see this moment. God calls him. Uh, and then uh, he's then set to go take out down this Asher pole. He takes down the Asher pole. Uh, and then there's armies that set in place. This is where Midian combines with Amalak. I can't even say his name. Uh, and they set themselves against Israel. They align. They show up in a valley. And they're ready to fight. Uh, and so then this is where Gideon is then, he just takes a moment and says, okay, God. And you just see this uncertainty that exists from his, again, back to the confession of like, I'm the least in my family. My family's the least in my tribe. And my tribe is the least of all the 12 tribes. Yeah, Manasseh was not very well, is not, was not a very big tribe. It was not a very dominant tribe within the 12 tribes of Israel. It was one of the lower tribes, if not the lowest. And Joash, the Abizarite, he was the leader of a family in the lowest clan within this tribe. So you see this constant uncertainty within Gideon in and of himself. Now, the, the, the crazy thing is we don't see a lot about, don't know much more about Gideon than what we hear in scripture here, but there is this uncertainty and you see this moment where he says, okay, Lord, if you're going to go and fight for me, forgive me, but I have a question. I have an ask. I'm going to lay this fleece out on the ground and I need it to be completely wet and the ground around it to be dry. Gideon goes to sleep, wakes up, and he wrings out this fleece because the ground around is dry, but the fleece is soaking wet. He wrings out a bowl full of water from the fleece. So then he's like, it's a great sign. So God answers the sign, right? Remember, he was asking about the wonders. Where were these wonders? Where were these answers? Where, where were these miracles? And then he's like, okay, Lord, forgive me. I have one more ask. I'm going to lay the fleece out again, but I need it to be dry and the ground around it to be wet with dew. And he wakes up the next morning and that's what happens. The ground around is wet. The fleece itself is dry. And so Gideon then says, okay, fine. I'll I'll trust you. Which I I think uh, I'm normally a big proponent of don't like try and think that like you would be more sure than a biblical character because you. Oh, I don't know if I'd be sure. You probably wouldn't. But I feel like uh, seeing the meat and bread consumed by fire by the staff would have been like, okay, I feel like you you are who you say you are. Yeah. It's funny because it's it's just this progressive thing. So then Gideon calls out to the following tribes. He says, hey, let's rally together. God's going to give the Midianites and the Amalekites into our hands. We're going to win. People show up. I think it's like 22,000 people or whatever. And God's like, that's too many. Okay. So he whittles it down, whittles it down. Then I think the number whittles down to the thousands. I think Three, it was 30,000 like to 10,000, I think. Something, yeah, something like that. It, it's reduced, hardcore. And God's like, no, that's still too much. He whittles an army originally down to th- down all the way to 300. So then I think of Sparta because the little movie. Leonidas. Yeah, right. But it's not really accurate. So that's the crazy thing. So then whittles down to 300 and get the kid in the black bean bandits. He whittles down to three, just so you know. Um, <laughs> so, so you're teaching your son a lie. No, it's a story I'm reading. I'm not teaching Jack. Wow. Okay, I'm teaching him to trust in the white rider, which is the God figure. Anyways, so then it's, it's this picture of there's 300. Gideon's leading this army. He's walking out to trust God. But I, I, I'm knowing Gideon's story, he's scared. Like, I guarantee he's mm-hmm. afraid because the armies he's going against is in the thousands, multiples of thousands. So then God has this incredible passage in Judges chapter 7, verses 8 to 14. It says this. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to the tents, but kept the 300 troops. 
who took the provisions and the trumpets. The came to Midian was the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So he sends all the remaining troops back to the camp. They're too afraid to fight. All the 300 that are willing and brave to fight are there. And that night, the Lord said to him, get up and attack the camp for I handed it over to you. But then there's this qualifier. But if you are afraid to attack the camp, go down to Purah, your servant. Go down with Purah, your servant. Listen to what they say, and then you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. Now the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Ketamites had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camels were as innumerable, innumerable as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. This dream is hilarious. That's why I put it in here. <laughs> And this is what he's listening to. He's overhearing a conversation in the camp as he's quietly just watching. And he said, listen, I had a dream of running wire with dinosaurs. With dinosaurs. It's incredible. It's the weirdest thing. Um, and they don't even know dinosaurs. No, I'm just kidding. But it says, this, listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp, struck a tent, and it fell. The loaf turned the tent upside down so that it all collapsed. His friend answered, this is Gideon's friend, Pura which I don't know if I'd like that name because it reminds me of cats and cats or not Her. something I'm interested in. It says this, his friend answered, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon. Oh no, sorry, this friend is at camp. I don't know how I missed that. The sword is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. That's the conversation Gideon overhears, which then gives him courage. And it's interesting because the story ends where Gideon then conquers the tribe without even lifting a sword. Yeah. They basically just turn and run. They, yeah, they, they have torches and clay pots. They all shout, blow their horns, run with torches and there's confusion in the camp and they all get defeated and run away. So that's the end of it. He continues to pursue, kills the Kings. And then the Israelites come to him. And this is the crazy thing. Like this is where the story begins to turn to the sad part. Well, before really quick, before we, before we turn to the sand part, sad part, sand part, Uh, it could be in the sand too. No, I I just, I did just want to say that there is a, there's a big theme that we see all throughout judges. um, And really in the old Testament particular with uh, just the battle scenes where it's orchestrated in such a way that no one but God could take credit for it. Yeah. And so that is what we see. Where, and that's where you see the whittling down and yeah. Yeah. Because you have, yeah, the, 300 the, the people. The loaf. Yeah. 300 people should not be able to just shout and all of a sudden intimidate everyone into running away. Um, and you see like with Moses in the Red Sea, Joshua and, and Jericho mm-hmm. where, you know. They just walk around. And yeah, shout. exactly. So um, I do just want to keep keep that in mind that so much of the the ministry of the judges is not that they're these great heroes who lead Israel because they're awesome, but rather it's because it's, the, they're just the people that God has chosen yeah. to work through. So yeah. anyway, but now let's get to the sad part. It's a good, it's a good reminder. Um, so anyways, they got Israelite people then call out to Gideon and say, Hey, we want, we want you to lead us. We want you to rule us, you and your sons. In essence, what they have been doing throughout history up to this point is they've rejected God gone their own way, worshiped their own people. And Gideon, who just performed an incredible salvific act in in taking out Midian in a, in a supernatural way, the Israelites are rejoicing, saying, you need to rule us. They're again taking their allegiance away from who, who, should their, who their allegiance should be. And Gideon, in his, in his brilliance, tells them, no, you, you, the Lord's going to rule it. My kids aren't going to do it. And it's interesting because this is where he then says, but you can give me this. Uh, and so I want to read these, these few verses. And then it kind of leads me into this, this tension um, that led to that Gideon's downfall in some respects. It says this 
in verse 22 of chapter eight. This is towards the end of the story of Gideon. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us as well as you, you, as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. And my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Ooh. Then he said to them, let me make a request of you. This is Gideon saying to the Israelites, everyone give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, we agreed to give them. So they spread out a cloak and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold, which is a lot of money. Remember where Gideon came from. He was very poor. Uh, That's part of the reason why he was hiding. I mean, and even go back to that moment for a second when he went back to get an animal or a sacrifice before the Lord to verify who he was, he was seeking divination. He was seeking, you know, a word, something from God. And so he was willing to sacrifice the little he had. And so then coming from a poor narrative, a poor story and a poor background, he then says, give me one gold earring, weighs 43 pounds of gold. In addition, and this is more, in addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments of the kings of Midian and the chains on the necks of their camels. This is everything Gideon then accumulated. Gideon made an ephod from it. Now, this is like a, uh, it's like almost like a chess piece. Like Aaron, the priest wore an ephod. It's like the gold colorful things that you see in um, like illustrated Bible pictures. Yes. Thank you. Um, So an ephod and put any, from all of this, he made an ephod and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Then all of Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Gideon was no different at the end of his story from the, the, the legacy he grew up in and worshiping and prostituting himself to other gods. And that's the tragedy. I think of this story. That's the bummer. That's the downfall. Um, he, he had these great heights and then all of a sudden had this low, low where he became entrapped in worshiping this ephod that he created out of the gold from the plunder of his victory that God provided. And it's interesting because I think that's true of us today. We oftentimes can take things that God has created or God has done and we make them something we worship versus the things that they're supposed to remind us of who God is and his sovereignty and his power. Yeah. Um, we Romans take good things and we make them ultimate things. Yeah. And I mean, Romans says this way, we worship the created things and not the creator. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to Gideon's legacy, this is an interesting, I'm going to read from, this is came in from the Logos Bible software that I have um, that I actually hadn't thought about before. Uh, and so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it real quick and then let Evan share his thoughts on it. But it says this, one of the great tribal leaders in all uh, in the era of the book of Judges Gideon is not to, not said to have in quote unquote judged Israel, unlike most of the worthies in the book, which is interesting because I I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, it is interesting. He never judged Israel, uh, nor is it directly claimed by a narrator or com- a compiler that he saved quote unquote Israel, as claimed for several others: Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Tola. They all saved Israel. Gideon didn't do any of that. So the question is, what does Gideon do? And the, and the answer to this question. He was remembered for mobilizing a force, which at last put an end to the annual raids at harvest time. And from across the Jordan into the broad Jezreel, Australia plain and down the coast. Um, Gideon was remembered for having exceptional penchant for oral seeking and divinatory inquiry, but with finally unhappy results. Gideon's legacy was one of a mobilizer and a response to to what God called him to. But at the end of the day, it was interesting because... I named my son Gideon because of the story of Gideon. Uh, the being, ephod and the falling. And exactly. The end, like, my, I want my son to have gold. No, I'm just kidding. That's bad. <laughs> it's, totally, <laughs> it's totally not true. Um, but I, like, I want my son to have a willingness to to trust God, but also to to have faith and, and courage to ask God some difficult things at times. And I think that's some of the story of Gideon. 
But as I'm reading the story of Gideon, I realized like he wasn't a judge. He's in the judges. God raised and called him out in the midst of a difficult situation in time. He didn't save Israel, which I think is good because I think God's supposed to be the one that saves Israel. Um, but the being remembered for mobilizing a force to defeat Midian was a big part of his legacy. But then his, his what's the word? Not penchant. That's the word they use, but the, um, I can't remember it now. But the, just the desire to seek oracles and divine uh, inquiries, having responses in the divine yeah. was part of that problematic fall. Um, when he made the ephod, it became something they worshiped and not something that reminded them of God's faithful provision and deliverance for their lives. Uh, and so that's not necessarily the greatest legacy, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, um, Well, and but, he has that in common with a lot of the judges. Yes. And or, I think that's common of human nature and as well. And kings but, later. So, but yeah, I, th- I just thought it was interesting to think about like Gideon, he's always painted as a hero uh, of judges. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that he had, he didn't, he didn't see God do great things. But I think it goes back to what you said about judges already is the whole purpose of judges is not, not to see people be the, the redeemer and the, and the savior and the deliverer, but it, it really is God who does the work and he, the way he orchestrates the deliverance of God's people is pretty miraculous. So, yeah. And I think it just reminds us um, that the, the people in the Bible are very much human. They're not like these made up legendary yeah. figures that you would see in mythology and stuff, but it's uh and how easy it is to forget that. Yeah. And you can even, I mean, you can look back. It's not just, um, it, it's, it's not just like biblical characters. It's, it's history in general. Like mm-hmm. we, we normally remember people for the, the great things that they did. Yeah. And we, and we kind of, um, ignore could be a strong word, but we downplay the other parts. Like we yeah. remember David and Goliath more than we remember David and Bathsheba. We remember, uh, Samson being just super strong and awesome more than we remember the Delilah story. Although those, I guess, are probably or even, or even his, his fiance that he pursued at the very beginning of the story. True. Yeah. I think, I think Delilah is more prominent and more remember memorable, but it started before Delilah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole different conversation about a different person, but his desire for things that were not, that were anti what God asked of him, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like he was told as a Nazarite certain things um, and he disregarded all of them. And if it, it for really for us, I think it should be an, an encouragement that, um, God uses imperfect people. Yeah, for sure. And he's, um, it, that, cause those are the only type of people that there are. So when we look what? at, when we look at the legacy of biblical characters, there's very, very few that come out unscathed. It's funny. Cause last week we talked about Ruth and Boaz who are like two of the only characters in the Bible yeah. who like are very like, righteous we, and honorable. We don't really mention like whatever, whatever sin they struggled with. We don't talk about it in the Bible, but most of the other biblical characters we do. So it's a reminder that God can use um, God uses sinners for great things, um, but it's also a reminder for us to uh, to keep watch yeah. in our own lives, in our own integrity, that uh, even after God using us for great things, there, there can be falls. So Yeah, well said. There you go. Um, I mean, do you want to do the wrap-up this week since you took no, you're in the driver's seat? No. All right, we'll go there. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find out all of our other resources and our podcasts on our website at grove.church. Have a great week.